Good morning. We continue our study of the book of Philemon today. As we begin, I'd like for us to pray together, please. Lord, we thank you for a new day when your mercies are new. We are so grateful that even if weeping is in the night, joy does come in the morning, and your mercies are new every day. Great is your faithfulness. And we are so grateful for your faithfulness, Lord, to us. And we, uh, as we study your word today, we ask that you would help us to understand it and then be faithful in applying it. And we ask that your spirit would anoint us with power and with wisdom and with courage. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So for those of you who have been with, who have been with us the last two days, you know that we've, we're doing a very short study of Philemon. I'm only going to be here this one week. Uh, and we're not going to be able to mine all the depths of Philemon, but we're mining a little bit of it. Yesterday we focused on one of the observational clues, which is a phrase that is sometimes used in Bible study. Uh, which is called who. We focused on one of the who's in Philemon. We focused on Philemon, and we went through the book of Philemon and noticed everything that the text said about Philemon, and then we tried to apply that to our lives. We tried to think of ways we identify with Philemon, ways Philemon encourages us, ways Philemon challenges us, anything we can learn from him, and it was a blessed time. Today we're going to do just a little bit of work with repetitions, which is another observational clue. I'm doing this because you can learn a lot from a book or about a book or passage by using, by noticing the repetitions. Uh, and while we learn a little more in Philemon from the who's and, a, and especially that one contrast about Onesimus that we talked about Monday, uh, I want you to be introduced to the notion of repetitions, okay? And actually it's the repetition that we're going to talk about today in Philemon that helped me notice the contrast about Onesimus that we talked about Monday, the contrast between, for those of you that weren't with us uh, Monday or Tuesday, the contrast uh, that Paul writes about in Philemon related to Onesimus, who was a slave and useless, but he now is a beloved brother and useful. And what a difference <laughs> in someone's life, okay? Uh, but it was actually the noticing of the repetition of the word brother or sister in Philemon that helped me later notice the contrast uh, in Onesimus. So let's quickly look at that, and then I'm going to illustrate uh, how important it may be in certain books or passages to notice repetitions, even more so than we might see in Philemon, and we're, we're going to be talking for just a few minutes about a repetition that we see in the Gospel of Mark. But first, let's notice in verse 1, we're talking about the repeated use of brother or sister. Now, when you look for repetitions in a passage or a book, you're not looking for re the repetition of the or I or a, a or and, uh, but you're looking for repeated words or phrases or repeated ideas, okay? So we're talking about brother or sister. So in verse 1, that's our first use of brother. And who is referred to in verse 1 of Philemon as brother? Timothy. Sorry, Matthew, you were going for the mic, but I didn't see you. Uh, so Matt had it, Timothy, okay? Hmm? I'm fast. Yeah, I want to be sure we get to Mark. <laughs> okay, in verse 2, there's a reference to a brother or a sister. Who is this referred to? Apphia, right, Apphia. Thank you. Was that Betty? Okay, Betty said Apphia. Let's say, so that's in verse 2. Okay, how about verse 7? There's another reference to brother. Who do you see in verse 7? Philemon. Philemon. Thank you, Matt. So we've got a reference to Timothy as a brother. 
a reference to Apphia as a sister and a reference to Philemon as a brother. Okay, the next one is verse 16. Normally, I would want you to find these yourself, but we need to save time. Uh, verse 16, who's referred to as a brother? Onesimus. Okay, and is, he a, is it simply a reference to brother? It's beloved brother. That's one of the things you do when you examine. Uh, yesterday, I talked about in observation, you both identify and examine. And so we are identifying the places in Philemon where we see brother or sister. If we were to go back, we would then examine them and look at each instance carefully. And we would see, at least in the King James Version, I think, and in my version, it's a little different in my Spanish version, only Onesimus is referred to as beloved. Is that true in the King James that you all have? No one else is referred to as beloved. In Philemon, okay, in mine it in says dear one. friend and co-worker. It only says brother about Timothy. Hmm. Dearly beloved about Philemon. Mine says yes, Timothy okay. our says, brother uh, and Philemon our beloved brother. Okay, okay, so this illustrates how helpful it is to use different translations. Uh, don't just use the only one that you normally use. When you're actually studying a passage or a book, it's always good to have more than one translation at hand. And then when you see differences like these, now you want to ask yourself, I wonder what the Greek says. <laughs> and then you can find a resource to help you know exactly what the Greek says. Okay? Now, it may not be meaningful in this particular case that Onesimus is referred to as beloved or beloved, and so is Philemon, but not, for example, Apphia. It may not be significant, but it may be. We won't know if we don't bother to notice it and then ask ourselves those kinds of questions. Okay? So that's why it's important to try to notice these things and then go back later and look at them more carefully, okay? And then in verse 16, we already did 16. In verse 20, there's one more reference to brother. Philemon. Once again, Philemon is referred to as brother. So it's obvious that Paul saw Philemon as a brother in Christ. He saw Onesimus as a brother in Christ and Timothy and Apphia as a sister in Christ. Now, we won't take time to really think through all this today, but one of the ways you process these things as you're studying is you ask questions, you bombard the text. This is in the interpretation phase. You bombard the text with questions. Why did he refer to Philemon, Timothy, Apphia, and Onesimus as brother or sister, but not Archippus? He referred to Archippus as fellow soldier. Why? Does he not consider Archippus a brother? Or he, does he consider Archippus a brother but wanted to, uh, wanted to highlight that he's a fellow soldier? Okay. Fellow soldier in what? Okay. So you can see we may not know all the answers to these questions, and we don't always have to try to answer them. But if we never ask them, we will never answer them. We will never even think to try to answer them. And it may be that in this case, it doesn't matter. It might not matter to the meaning of Philemon what he calls Archippus. But we won't know that if we don't start asking the question. And we never want to assume that we already know whether or not something that the text says is important. Remember Monday we talked about observation is we focus on what the text says, not what it means. Not yet. We focus on what it means later. If we focus too early on what it means, what we do is skip the observation and impose our own thoughts on what the text says 
we assume what it means when we really don't know. So, okay. So that's an example of a repetition in Philemon that may or may not be important, but you, ne- you won't know until you ask the question. Now let's go to the Gospel of Mark, and I'm going to show you a repetition that is obviously important. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1 in Mark. Verse 1, chapter 1 of Mark. In the beginning, I'll start over, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay? Anyone's translation say it differently? The Son of God mentioned there? Okay, so Mark, right from the front, refers to Jesus as Son of God. Now look at verse 11. Can someone read verse 11, please? Jesus is coming up out of the waters of baptism. And there came a voice from heaven saying, You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay. So a heavenly voice, we assume God the Father, refers to Jesus as his beloved son. Okay. So Mark calls him son of God. God calls him his son. Now go to 224. Uh, and Betty, will you go ahead and go to nine seven? Was it Kathy? Mm-hmm. Kathy, will you go to fourteen sixty to sixty two? And do you have a Bible today, Taylor? I know you're monitoring the computer. Thank you. Could you go to fifteen thirty nine? So, did anyone get two twenty four? I was telling other people to turn up. Okay, let us hear two twenty four, Matt. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? Do they? All right, I gave you the wrong verse. That's my fault. It's uh, 124. My bad. 124. Matt, thank you. All right. Saying, Let us alone. What have we do with you, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Are you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Okay, who's talking? A demon is talking, and he refers to Jesus as the Holy One of God. So he doesn't say Son of God here, but he refers to Jesus as the Holy One of God. So Mark shows us that even the demons refer to Jesus as the Holy One of God. Okay. Nine, seven. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So here, this is the Mount of Transfiguration. And here again, we have another reference to God calling Jesus his son. Okay. Uh, Kathy, did you have the chapter 14 reference, verses 60 to 62? And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? This is what they witness against you. But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Isn't it? Thank you. Isn't it very intriguing that Jesus answers none of the accusations against him? This is in front of the high priest, not in front of Pilate. But in front of the high priest, he answers none of the accusations. He remains quiet. But when he is asked a question about his identity, he cannot remain silent. Yes, he is. (laughs) Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I am the son of the blessed one. I don't remember how it was phrased there. He's the son of the 
blessed. Yeah, the son of the blessed or the son of the blessed one. Okay. Yes, I am. And you will see the son of man coming on clouds of glory, an obvious reference to himself. Okay, chapter 15, verse 39. Taylor, did you have that one? Yep. And and when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he, he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Who said this? Centurion. A Roman centurion. Mark starts his gospel. The gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. Mark shows God calling Jesus his son, coming out of the waters of his baptism. Mark shows demons referring to Jesus as the Holy One. Mark uh, makes sure that he includes the story about Jesus in front of the high priest. Uh, I, I skipped the transfiguration. He makes sure to include the story of the transfiguration where God says again, this is my beloved son. Does he say in your version, do what he, do what he says? <clears throat> so basically do what he says. Listen to him. Yeah. Okay. Then in front of the high priest, Mark makes sure he includes that story about Jesus saying, I am. And now he makes sure we, he includes the story in the gospel of the Roman centurion saying, truly, this man was the son of God. So when we observe this repetition in Mark, it becomes very quickly obvious that one of the central themes in the Gospel of Mark is the identity of Jesus, who he is. He's not simply a rabbi. He's not simply a great teacher or miracle worker. He is also the Son of God. And that may become obvious to people as they read it without really noticing repetitions, but it may not. So sometimes the observational clues are simply tools that help us notice things that the Spirit will really like us to notice, but we don't because our minds are busy with other things and we don't really have pegs to hang things on. Some people don't like this particular process because it can be a little laborious, but other people love it because it gives them pegs to hang things on and it gives them mental pegs to hang things on. So, Okay. So that's a good example of the use of, of why using repetitions can be one of the great tools to use in Bible study. Now let's go back to Philemon. And we're going to work on the who of Paul for a little bit. We obviously won't have time to notice everything about Paul. But we're going to just start make our way. And we're going to, we're going to do the application questions as we go through instead of trying to go through and then go back to the end. As we go through, we're going to ask the application questions. What's the first thing we learn about Paul that the text says in Philemon? Prisoner. Prisoner. Taylor. Okay, he's a prisoner. Paul is a prisoner. What kind of prisoner? Prisoner A prisoner of Christ Jesus. Okay, so he is making it very plain. I am in prison and I am here because of Jesus. I'm not here because I, I did some shoplifting. I'm not here because I picked a pocket. I'm here because of Jesus, okay? So is there anything we can identify with Paul here? I cannot. I've never been a prisoner uh, for my faith. Has anyone else been a prisoner for your faith? But we may know people who have. So uh, that's one way we can identify if we know people who have. Well, I call, Dan, I call. 
that is specific to your life, you can't get out of it. Okay. You, you can't change a job. It's it just Okay. So sometimes we find ourselves in a in a a prison. We're captured, or we're tied. Okay. So that's a that would be one way to think about prison. Okay. Uh, well, I'm not going to tell that story. We don't have time. So okay, go on. Uh, to Philemon, excuse me, to Philemon. <laughs> I went back to my bad pronunciation. To Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Apphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Do we learn anything about Paul from what I just read? Okay, we learned that Philemon is a friend and co-worker. We learned that Apphia is considered a sister and that Archippus is a fellow soldier. And we learn that there's a church in Philemon's house and that Paul has at least enough of a relationship with them that he wants to address the letter to them in addition to addressing the letter to Philemon and Apphia and Archippus. Okay, those are the people he's addressing the letter to. Okay. Okay. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So is there anything we can apply here? Is there anything we can identify here with Paul here, anything that challenges us or encourages us or that we learn from Paul? And if there's not, it's okay. Sometimes there's just really not a direct application. Well, grace and peace is a theme from Paul. Romans 5. Right. One. Hold the mic up. Romans 5. One will be, he mentions grace, mentions peace. Therefore, since we have these just five by faith, we have peace with God. Okay. So it's kind of interesting. He's in prison, and he's talking about peace. Okay. And so that's an encouragement to us to know that we can have grace and peace even in trying circumstances. And it could be a challenge to us to not let our circumstances dictate whether or not we experience grace and peace in Christ. So it can be either an encouragement or a challenge depending on how we're responding to our circumstances right now in our lives. Okay. Okay. Right. So he, even though he's writing it, to, even though he's writing it to Philemon, so he's it says and to the church in your home. So he's actually writing to the whole church. Yes. To ask them to take Onesius back into their church. Uh, what we can say is he is writing to the whole church. He's right. Oh, right. At this point, he's writing to the point, whole church. That's what we can say. Yeah. Yes, that is correct, and it's a very important observation. Uh, because it does, it does later when you start interpreting it, it definitely means that he is also, <laughs> he's not just asking Philemon to take back Onesimus and begin to treat him as a brother. He's asking the church to do that. Okay, but we're, skip, we're skipping ahead. We're going to talk about the church on Friday, okay? But yes, thank you, Kathy. Okay, when I remember you in my prayers, what do we learn about Paul from this phrase? He prays. He prays, and he prays for Philemon. <laughs> He prays and he prays for Philemon. I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. What do we learn about Paul from this? He rejoices. He's also got a grapevine of some sort. (laughs) Because he learned about Philemon's love for all the saints and his faith toward the Lord Jesus. Paul learned this somehow. So he's got some kind of grapevine. Yes. He mentions all the time faith. Yes. Like I'm hearing your faith. Ephesians 1, you know, 
Yes. Verse 15, he talks about mentioning in my prayers and talking about faith is something like it's movable, it's important. and Very. Faith is, uh, well, now we're getting into preaching. So. <laughs> how, how, what's the way you might apply something from this, this particular sentence to your life? Anything? Taylor? That, that we I can, mean, Matt. Sorry. We can rejoice in the faith of others, the love of others, because it means that the gospel is having an effect in the world. Okay, we can rejoice in other people's faith. Right. What It challenges me to have the kind of faith that other people might hear about. <laughs> Not that I want to have faith so people can know me or brag about me. No. It's just, do I have enough faith that anybody notices? Do I have enough faith in Jesus that it makes enough difference in my life that anybody notices? That's a good question. That's a good barometer question for all believers to ask themselves. So I pray, this is verse 6 now, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. Is it phrased any differently that might change the meaning in the version you all have? If so, someone please read it in your version with a microphone. Well, faith becomes effectual. Is there somebody involved? You know, and the question is, is faith is your, what you think of it and you're stuck with it, you have a, but it doesn't apply to fruits. It doesn't have any legs. And he's talking about here, uh, this this translation, King James, the communication of your faith may be effectual. Okay. means it has legs. Correct. So one of the things we learn about Paul here is that he believes that you can share your faith without it being effective. And he's praying that when Philemon does share his faith, it will be effective. You see how I got there? Yes. Okay, all right. So my application from that is pray, Lord, help my faith be effective for the spread of the gospel, not just something that makes me feel better or makes my life go better. May my faith have impact on others. May my faith have kingdom impact, not only Dan impact. See, You see how you can get there from that verse when you really think about it? process it that way okay i have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you my brother so what do we learn about paul from this statement he has a lot of joy in what he hears about philemon and he, he he's refreshed by by people are refreshed by philemon and so refreshes paul as well okay so paul is Go ahead, Kathy. You're going to grab the mic. I was just going to say, like, like you can see through Paul what the Holy Spirit works out in us, like what he rejoices in, what makes him joyful anyway. Okay, and what so. does make him, specifically what makes him joyful here? The fact that the saints are being refreshed yes. by it, the fact, the love of Jesus, the stop love. Now. Stop, stop, stop. You got it. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul rejoices in other people's joy. And how many of us don't do that? You know, we're human, right? <laughs> we, we have this mindset, I can't be happy in so, unless somebody else is less happy than me. 
the only way I can be happy is if I'm happier than. That's not kingdom math, y'all. Kingdom math is we're all we can all be joyful to the ultimate in Jesus. And we as community we can only truly be joyful as we rejoice in other people's joy. Okay? And we certainly learn that from Paul here as well in some of his other letters. Betty, were you saying something? Well, it just as a leader, I think it speaks something to a leader because there were many churches that Paul established or mentored that he did not have a lot of joy and comfort. They had nothing but trouble. And so to yeah. a leader to hear that it's working well and that yeah. it must it just it blesses a leader's heart. So Paul himself is an encourager. Yeah. He is he, encouraged. Yeah. You may be saying the opposite. But I'm kind of I, saying the taking, opposite that as a leader, both are taking place. When you yeah. see someone growing in faith and doing yes. sin, it's like, oh, thank you, Lord, because all I do is put out fires and have troubles, but at this person I, I can I rejoice in. I see where you're in. going. Yes. <laughs> Paul is so refreshed by what by how Philemon refreshes the saints. Yeah. Paul is refreshed by that. He's watching his spiritual kid grow up yeah. and blossom. And I think that's how he finds that joy being in prison is because mm-hmm. he's getting these reports, you know, just like the church in Ephesus and, you know, hearing that, like Betty said, it's refreshing him, even though his circumstances at the time for us looking at shouldn't produce much joy. Right. That's right. Praise God. God is good, y'all. I hope there aren't too many non-Southern uh, dialect folks listening because they're going to. They might not know what to do with my with my accent or, or my y'all. <laughs> All right, verse 8. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. We'll stop there. What do we learn about Paul, about Paul from this phrase, this sentence, or this half sentence? In Paul, this is like a tenth of a sentence. <laughs> that, that he's he's saying, instead of me asking you to do this, I can just command you to do this. Okay. But I'm I'm asking you to do this to choose to do it. Okay. So we hear two things at least, right? He knows what his apostolic authority is. Mm-hmm. So he knows he has the apostolic authority to command. Okay. But he doesn't want to do it that way. So we learn from Paul that he doesn't always want to exercise his apostolic authority from the top down. He wants to pull people alongside with. And that really, if anyone is a leader in any kind of ministry, if you're a leader in your family, if you're a leader in your workplace, there's a real difference between top down and pulling alongside with. And, of course, each person has to discern which is best for your context. There may be certain jobs where you simply need to say you need to dig that hole and don't give me any sass you know but there may be other jobs where you need to find a way to say could you please come over here this hole needs to be dug and you're the best person to do it there's a difference in how those two things are phrased and it may mean it may be that you need to do the former you need to say dig that hole (laughs) or it may be that with in this particular situation with this person the best way to proceed is more collegial and then sometimes the person that is hearing is not aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to communicate if, if they're not with you. That's right. Because to go alongside, you've you got to have co- corroboration. You've got to have That's right. If they're not corroborating and cooperating, 
then uh, alongside work isn't working. Partners, partnering doesn't work very well if the other person doesn't want to partner. That's right. So, and that's one of the things you have to discern as a leader is this person someone with whom we can truly be partners, and so that's the way I should lead, or is this someone who really doesn't want to be a partner, and the only way they're going to be fruitful at all is if I sort of direct. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a good application point for anyone who's a leader. Yeah. Okay? And I all do this as an old man. Does the King James say old man? An aged. Paul the aged, okay? And now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, okay? Uh, So I can identify with the old man part. (laughs) So is he really saying I'm doing it because I have the experience and maturity of age? Or is he referring to himself more as an aged elder? Sort of like an elder in the church. So why does he even mention that he's an old man? Why is that important? We may not know the answer to that question, but it's here. My footnote says an ambassador. That's interpretation of someone else, okay? Oh, okay. And it's not inappropriate to read that, but I want you to read it about just a second. Okay. But that is interpretation. We have now gone to interpretation because we're seeking someone else's opinion, Right. So what we observe in the text is that Paul refers to himself as an old man. That's what that's observation. All right, now we are admitting we're going to interpretation. What's your footnote say, Betty? It says it could be interpreted um, an ambassador. The Greek word could be. That's what my okay says. okay, and there that's right. another interesting uh, example of how got experience or as an right. ambassador you have authority because you've been right. sent so sometimes as we do some of our detailed observation it becomes obvious we need to trace back some greek word stuff and there are you do not have to know greek and it's great if you know greek and i believe some i believe each generation needs greek scholars in the church i really do and i think we've gotten lazy about that um but there are also a whole lot of resources uh how much time do we have left Kathy has a comment. 30 seconds or so. Okay, Kathy. I mean, in, in some cultures, if you're aged, you get more. In some cultures, if you're aged, you get more respect. Was okay. the Roman culture like that? So it could have something to do with that, and that would be one of the things you'd investigate in your interpretation phase. You, you would wonder, you would investigate, is there anything I can read that would help me learn whether or not that is probably what's going on here. So he refers to himself as aged, and as he refers again to being a prisoner. Okay, so I don't know what's best for y'all. Should we go ahead and wrap up on time because you try to be faithful to the time? Okay, all right. Uh, I am appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Remember, we're doing the who of Paul. What do we learn about Paul here? He's fathering Onesimus. He became Onesimus' father. It doesn't say that. That's an assumption. We all think that's what happened, yes. But for now, we're going to say that we don't know that. He became Onesimus' father. Now, that's got to mean spiritual father, right? Because <laughs> we certainly don't think, you know, Paul had a woman through whom he gave birth, physical birth to Onesimus while he was in prison because Onesimus was an adult, okay? Uh, okay, so Paul became his spiritual father. Let's just go ahead and say it. Thank you, Matt. And when I keep reminding you all about observation, I don't really mean to be scolding if it comes across in a scolding tone. It's just we really have that temptation, as all of us do. We're so tempted to interpret before we observe. And I just want to help us try to learn how to not do that. Okay. So what's something we can 
apply to ourselves from this, that he became Onesimus' spiritual father. Well, yeah, I'm trying to think of how to word this, but um, as he, as he became his spiritual father, so he was mentoring him. Then the same responsibility, I guess, falls on us if we're mentoring someone else. Okay. And you know, I mean, you might need to rephrase that. But no, you phrase it, Taylor. That he feels some sort of responsibility for Onesimus. Okay, he right. feels responsibility for Onesimus. I have begotten in my imprisonment. So it means you can always have a ministry no matter where you are. You can have a ministry no matter where you are. That's a great application. What's sort of the evangelistic application? He spiritually fathered someone. So we could ask ourselves the challenging question, when's the last time I spiritually fathered someone or mothered someone? When's the last time I helped someone say yes to Jesus? I mean, I'm not going to have anybody to mentor if I don't ever help anybody say yes to Jesus, except people that I mentor who have already said yes, and they they came to me another way. Okay? So that's one of those challenging questions. <laughs> When's the last time I helped someone say yes to Jesus? Keep going? Yes. Okay, it's y'all's Bible study. I just I didn't know how faithful you like to be to the 30 minutes for the people online. So Two or three more minutes? Okay. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. What do we learn about Paul here? Only about Paul, not Onesimus. That Onesimus is useful to Paul? Okay, that Onesimus is useful to him somehow, some way. It doesn't say how, but somehow, some way. Kathy? Uh, Claire, he seems to know the history between these two. Okay, and he knows some history between Onesimus and Philemon. Good observation. He obviously knows some history between them, okay, because he knew that Onesimus must have been useful to him because he's now useless. You see how the brain can make that leap? That's sort of an interpretive leap, actually, isn't it? That's a bit of an interpretive leap. But, okay, I am sending him, that is my own heart, back to you. What's something we learn about Paul from this? He sent Onesimus. He told him to go. He's sending him, and he considers Onesimus his own heart. How's it phrased in the King James? My, my own body. <laughs> I'm sending you my innards. <laughs> He's basically saying, I'm sending you myself. I mean, just treat Onesimus. He says later in the letter, treat him as you would treat me. Receive him as you would receive me. Okay? So... Um, so what we learn about Paul here is he considers Onesimus to be someone very close and extremely important. He wants Philemon and the church to receive him as they would receive Paul. That's how he views Onesimus. Okay? That's what we learn here. When you slow down and ask these kind of questions that, and observe in detail, that's the kind of stuff you can notice. You don't always see the tenderness of Paul in his letters, yes, but that's here true. there's just a real tenderness. There's a huge tenderness. We've really, even though he sort of does the quote spiritual blackmail later, <laughs> he he also says, you know, I could order you to do this, but you know, I'd really much rather you do it. I'd really much rather appeal to you to do it, beseech you to to do it. And yeah, he, yeah, yeah. This this is my boy. He's basically saying, this is my boy. 
Uh, let's go ahead and stop here so we'll be more, a little more faithful to the time anyway for those who are online and have other things that they need to be about today. Uh, I think the way I would like to transition then is, uh, though this is an interpretive transition, not an observational transition, one of the, two things. First of all, it's just amazing that uh, God considers me his boy and he considers you his girl. Uh, I have a daddy. I have a daddy God. I also have an awesome God who needs to be respected, and I need to be in awe of him. So I don't, I don't mean this in a frivolous way, but in terms of how precious I am in God's sight, yeah. Uh, yeah. God treats me like his own heart. That's yeah. how much he loves me. Yeah. That's how much he loves me. So if there's anyone today who needs to be reminded of God's deep, deep love for you, just know that as Paul says, you know, I am sending you my own heart when I send you Onesimus. God said to us, I'm sending you my own heart when I send Jesus. Okay. And he now says to us, you, through Christ, are my own heart. You're my precious kids. Lord, we thank you that we are your precious kids today. And we ask that your spirit would help us to, to be uh, aware of those opportunities you give us to help someone else become your special kid yeah. uh, may we may we play a role in someone's journey toward you today yes, uh, may we play a role in someone's journey toward you yes, and we ask this in your precious and holy name yeah. amen god bless